0: today being January 2nd, I did want to make uh, use of the desire for change that a new year always does bring. It's a short window, statistically speaking. Um, New Year's resolutions last 18 days. So while we're still in the window of optimism, I would like to preach on Christian perspective on change. Because of the way our preaching calendar normally works out, I I typically am not scheduled to preach uh, this Sunday around New Year's. But the last time I did, I vividly remember prepping for my sermon by polling the uh, office a little bit and asking everyone what their New Year's resolutions were. How does everyone want to be different this year? And I was getting your stereotypical big life-changing commitments from everyone, and then I asked Mark, and... um, I said, Mark, what's your resolution this year? His response, I want to keep a bag of apples in the office. Said, a bag of apples. I said, Yeah, I want to eat more fruit this year, so if I had a bag of apples in the office, I think I'll eat more. That is a Mark Randall New Year's resolution, friends. I am preaching from the assumption that the majority of us here this morning have higher visions of change for our lives than a bag of apples in your office. Now, I'm teasing Mark, but in, in all seriousness, one of the reasons why he's uh, one of my spiritual heroes is because he is so faithful in the mundane. Um, he's not perfect, he'd be the first to admit that, but um, I think most of you all can relate to my walk with Jesus, which is very up and down, and he's just such a steady follower of Jesus, and I, I truly envy a life where a bag of apples is my greatest concern. But again, we're thinking bigger this year, Okay. We're going to return to the Sermon on the Mount next Sunday when everyone's back, but as we turn the page into 2022, I want to preach a sermon on the hope that 2022 could actually be different for us, that the change you long to see in your life is absolutely possible. And I thought of this passage, particularly just one verse from our passage, and in it, we're going to see two things, the weakness of Christ's followers and the power of Christ's gospel. Let's start with the weakness that we all share. Remind us the context here. If you're not familiar, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. His betrayal, arrest, and crucifixion are looming. This is tension of eternal proportions. And so he needs to pray, he needs to be alone with his Father. So he takes his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, he tells them, Guys, I am overwhelmed. I am overwhelmed with sorrow, even unto death, he says. Sit, keep watch while I go off to pray. He comes back, and his closest friends in his deepest hour of sorrow are asleep. He wakes them up, and he says these words that I believe perfectly articulate the struggle of every single follower of Jesus. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. That will be my focus this morning. I think that little statement perfectly describes the tension every follower of Jesus feels. And it's a a tension unique to Christians in particular. This is a unique struggle that we face. Don't ever let anyone tell you that following Jesus is easy. It is not. It is a decision to embrace demands that makes your life much harder. It's not that those who don't follow Jesus don't seek self-improvement, but the very notion of self-improvement is that it's on your terms. You improve where you want to improve. That's not what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian is to surrender your entire life to the terms of Jesus. He gets to disagree with you. He gets to confront you. He gets to tell you what to do. He now is in charge. So if you're listening in and not a follower of Jesus, don't get me wrong. I want you to follow Jesus. And you won't regret it. Because although he is in charge, every charge he gives yields life as you long to know it. Your life, though, I want to be honest with you, your life if you follow Jesus, becomes this tension that he is describing here, and it is not for the faint of heart. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. This is the life of every Christian that all that we all know so well. We genuinely want to follow Jesus, don't we? We really do. We want to do what he tells us to do. We love him. We want to obey him. And we know also that obeying him proves good in the end. But there is this inescapable remaining weakness always there lurking, seeking to hijack our very sincere desires. That's what's happening in our text. These guys aren't just flippantly disobeying Jesus. They want to do what he asks. So why don't they? Well, don't over-spiritualize it. It's, it's simple. Look at verse 43. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. I just love that. I love how the text doesn't over-spiritualize things. Why didn't they obey? They're tired. That's it. Willing spirit, tired eyes. And their sleepiness is more powerful than their willingness. Can you relate? I'm not talking about their fatigue. I'm talking about that paradigm as a whole. Can you relate to this struggle of wanting to do what Jesus wants you to do, but because of whatever reason it may be, you don't? If you're like me, then you have been there countless times before. This little interaction exemplifies our day-in, day-out battles. From prioritizing the most basic disciplines of the Christian life, all the way to resisting the most profound temptations of Christian life. We want to do it, but it's hard to do it. So perhaps Jesus is saying to you, really is time for you to seat me with your whole heart this year. It's time to reorder your life around the spiritual disciplines. You need to be in prayer. You need to be reading your Bible. You need to be in Christian community, being known, being held accountable. You need to be in worship every Sunday. And if you are a Christian, the Spirit is inside of you, which means you really do want to do these things. The Spirit indeed is willing. But your flesh is weak. Your flesh prefers to sleep in. Your flesh prefers to busy itself with the demands, the, the endless demands of work. Your flesh prefers to get lost in social media. We want to practice the spiritual disciplines, but it's hard to practice the spiritual disciplines. And so often, like the disciples give in to their heavy eyes, we give in to the weakness of our flesh. Perhaps Jesus is saying to you this year, it is time for you to get control of your appetites. For too long, you've been mastered by your appetites, eating whatever you want, drinking whatever you want, viewing whatever you want, purchasing whatever you want. And Jesus is saying, it's it's time to tell your appetites no. Christians are these crazy people who tell themselves no. And you want to. The spirit is willing. but The flesh is so weak. This is my comfort. This is my escape. This is my one pleasure in my otherwise boring life that I live. So there you are, like the disciples, with their heavy eyes, and often we give in to the flesh. And on and on I could go with this paradigm. I had someone tell me, you you perfectly describe my tongue. I want so badly to control my tongue, to quit gossiping, to quit slandering, to use it for good and be kind and bless people. And it's just so hard. We could do this with anything in your life. To me, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak is a profound commentary on the life of every believer this side of glory. And perhaps January 1 stirs hope of change. But experience has proven time and again that New Year's resolutions are not stronger than the weakness of my flesh. So is that it? Change is... Just impossible. The weakness of flesh will always be stronger than the willingness of our spirit. Just going to have to live as a failure until glory? Absolutely not. Hear me very clear. You can change. Did you know that? You can be different. You can obey Jesus, but only through Jesus. Your strength is not stronger Than the weakness of your flesh but Jesus Christ is stronger than the weakness of your flesh and that's where I want to spend the majority of our time we've seen the weakness of Christ's followers let's look now at the power of Christ's gospel what you need to know about the gospel is that it is not just the power to save it is the power to change not just salvation but transformation which is actually a part of your salvation Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. And that's a holistic salvation. That's all of salvation. Yes, justification, but also sanctification and glorification. From beginning to end, the gospel is the power of God in your life. Now, I think we understand how the gospel forgives us, justification. But we are deficient in understanding how the power changes us, sanctification. So in our passage, you have the disciples as weak and faithless. Can't even keep their eyes open for Jesus, and soon they're going to abandon Jesus. But then they are transformed into bold and courageous followers willing to die for Jesus. What happened? What happened in between? Well, two monumental acts that change everything. What is going on in the context of our passage? Jesus preparing himself for the two tasks that are at the center of our gospel— He is preparing to die and then to rise. And it is his death and resurrection that yield the power of transformation in our lives because his death and resurrection each eliminate the two biggest obstacles we face when it comes to change. Let me tell you what they are and then show you how Jesus defeats them. Our two biggest enemies when it comes to change in our lives are shame and hopelessness. Shame over our inability to change and hopelessness that we will ever be able to change. These two things are what keep us in the prison of our own failures. Well, to your shame, I proclaim to you the crucifixion of Jesus. And to your hopelessness, I would like to proclaim to you the resurrection of Jesus. Let me do both. First, the crucifixion. Why did Jesus die? You know the answer, but do you believe the answer? He died to forgive us. And I do mean forgive us. All sins, past, present, future, are forgiven and no more. Forgotten. There is literally not an ounce of condemnation left for you. Do you know what that means? Endless second chances. Or as the scripture puts it, new mercies every single morning. And that is so important to your sincere desire to change. Why is our culture chosen January 1st as our day of resolutions? Isn't January 1 just like any other day? Well, yes and no. Of course, it's just another rotation of the earth, but it also doesn't feel that way though, does it? It feels new, People feel like they can start over, clean slate, no matter what they've done. It feels like a day where you can give it another try. And that is huge when it comes to the power of change in our lives, because we get caught in this downward spiral of shame and guilt over our failures, to the point where it feels utterly insurmountable to climb ourselves out of it. What's the use in even trying? So we give in, give in to more failure which compounds the shame. And so the cycle goes until we are buried beneath a weight of guilt over our failures. But if there were just some way that we could start over, go back, do it all again, that feeling, hit reset with a fresh start, then that feels more doable, right? And so, yeah, January 1, the beginning of a new year, gives our society this faux sense of being able to hit the reset button. And there's actually a biblical precedent for that, by the way. For example, uh, in the liturgical calendar of Israel, there was the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, which our Jewish friends still observe. Day of Atonement was a ritual, sacrifice, where the sins of the nation were given to a scapegoat, and the entire nation was forgiven. A day where literally all of Israel got to start over with a clean slate. They even had an entire year, the year of Jubilee, every seven Years where it was an entire year of fresh start, sins were for promised forgiveness, slaves were freed, debts were forgiven, just a whole year for everybody to start over. So this rhythm of a redo is a biblical concept, but of course, we believe. All rituals point to Jesus and find their fulfillment in Jesus. He is the true scapegoat who has purchased the true Jubilee. And so this is what is now ours because of the cross of Jesus every day in a very real sense. You wake up with a clean slate. Every day is a day of atonement and jubilee. Every day is a New Year's Day to use our cultural context. You wake up every morning surrounded by new mercy with a fresh start before you. And this is so important if we are ever going to change. We get so paralyzed by our failures, don't we? So much guilt, so depressed, so overwhelmed. And we say, I'm such a mess. Where do I even start? And the cross says to you, How about today? Why not today? Whether that day be January 1st or July 17th, it doesn't matter. There is never a morning without new mercy. So, brothers and sisters, I get it. I'm with you. You've blown it. So have I. But the death of Jesus is a fountain of endless newness. You really are forgiven. Like it's true, it's forgotten, it's gone. All is well between you and God. It's okay. So let's get going as though we've never failed because in Jesus we haven't. So the obstacle of our shame is overcome by the cross. Here's the second obstacle you're facing. It's hopelessness. And hopelessness is defeated by the resurrection. Okay, so I get endless second chances because of the cross of Jesus. But here's the problem. I just can't imagine ever changing no matter how many chances you give me. <laughs> sure I can try, but it just feels hopeless. Because experience has taught me it's never going to be different for me. I want to. I really do, but it feels impossible. Question. More impossible than rising from the dead? First Corinthians 15 contains the most significant teaching on the resurrection of Jesus in all of Scripture. Paul says Jesus is risen, it's a fact, and someday all who trust in Jesus will be raised as well. It's this amazing promise of future, glorious, perfected, resurrected destiny for the believer when finally we will be who we long to be. But then Paul ends 1 Corinthians 15 with a very curious application. We would expect a future application. You know, take heart, hold on, the day is coming, set your eyes upon future glory when you shall be changed. But that is not how he ends the chapter. Let me read for you the last verse. He just finished his famous boast O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Now, the last verse. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, so this is his application be steadfast, immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Now, that's interesting. Apparently, Paul believes that the promise of our future change is meant to bring about present change. What we shall be in the future is intended to affect what we are trying to be now. And that future promise of change, rightly understood, does in fact change our present lives, because what it does is shatter our hopelessness that change is even possible. Have you noticed how these workout and dieting plans all market themselves? It's the before and after pick, right? It's a very effective marketing strategy, because what they're doing is they are stirring hope of transformation, You see, they know this about you. They're smart. They know that you are incredibly cynical that you could ever lose weight or get in shape or whatever. So, what do they do? They show you a guy who looks like you. And then, voila, a new picture appears and the dad bod is no more. What they are saying is this really can be you. Don't look at your hopelessness that says you can't change. Look at this picture. Change is possible. And there's a reason why that marketing works. Because deep down, we truly doubt that change is possible. This is just who I am. My pathology is inescapable. My habits are unbreakable. My failure is unavoidable. So what's the point in even trying to be different? And that after picture is saying you don't have to believe those lies. It's exactly what the resurrection does for us. It awakens us from this slumber of hopelessness. 1 Corinthians 15 is giving you your after picture. That's what it's doing. This is what you're going to be. Paul literally says in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, you shall be changed and you shall be raised incorruptible and perfected. This shall be you. Therefore, contrary to the cynicism of your flesh, your labor towards what you will be is not in vain. So... Let that future glory free you from the entrapment of defeatism now. You are, no, you are no longer allowed to say, I just can't imagine life not in bondage to this thing, whatever this thing is for you. The resurrection doesn't just ask you to imagine that life. It guarantees you that life. You will be free. You will be glorified. You will be perfected. Therefore, any thought that you can't be moving toward that now, That you can't begin to experience that now. That you can't change for the better now. Any thought like that has to be a lie. I can't change is categorically untrue because, to quote Paul, you shall be changed. So give yourself to the change that you are one day guaranteed to have. Okay, let's apply all that as specifically as possible, okay? So in our passage, Jesus asks his disciples, to stay awake and watch. But they didn't because they were too tired. Let me ask you this question of application as we enter into this new year. What is one thing you know Jesus is asking of you? But for whatever reason, you just aren't doing it. One thing. I I, I know you can say, where do I start? I'm just asking one thing to apply this. One thing that the spirit inside of you is faithful, conviction, and you know Jesus really wants me to do this. But your flesh is so weak. Whatever that is, I want you to bring that to mind. You have it. This is what I want to do. I'm not going to ask you to write that down as a resolution for 2022, only to go to the graveyard of past resolutions. Instead, I'm going to ask you to submit that to the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So you have it in mind. First, the cross. If it came to your mind, if the Spirit gave you that, it is because this is a besetting thing for you. And so chances are you have a lot of guilt and shame in this area. I don't care how many times you have failed there. Perhaps you can't even count. It doesn't matter. God remembers that sin no more. You get a redo today and every day for the rest of your life. Your shame says you've already made such a mess, so what's the use in trying? The cross says you have no mess, so why not try again today? No matter how much you have failed, right now, in this moment, you have a totally clean slate. You can start over. Let his cross remove all shame over that besetting struggle. Now the resurrection. I don't care if you can't envision a life free from that struggle. I don't care if you have longed for change for years and you haven't seen it. You will see it. With 100% certainty, you will have the change you so desire. Therefore, your labors now to see that change come to be, your labors are not in vain. They're going to work in the end. In fact, they are guaranteed affection. Hopelessness says here, hopelessness says, I'll never be different, so what's the use in trying? The resurrection says, you shall be different, so what's the use in not trying? Let his resurrection remove all hopelessness about that struggle. So brothers and sisters, as we enter a new year, take your struggle, the area where the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, and don't give it New Year's resolutions. Give it to Jesus. Give it to his cross that removes all shame over your failure. Give it to his resurrection that removes all hopelessness. And let's get after it together this year. You can change because Jesus can change you. Let me pray. Lord, it's only fitting that we would now come to your sacrament. You say that um, every time we take this meal you pro- we, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes that removes our shame. And you promise that you will not eat this meal until you return in glory, and we are resurrected together, and let that remove all hopelessness. So we've heard this message preached. Now feed our souls the same message with this meal. In Jesus' name, amen.